Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Podcast One presents Let Lisa Help. Former insult comic Lisa Lampanelli is now a full-fledged life coach, and she wants to help you whether you like it or not. Join the former queen of mean as she continues her journey as the queen of meaning. She'll share her life experiences, the tools she's learned along the way, and a healthy dose of humor. So if you have a problem, let Lisa help. And now, here's your host, Lisa Lampanelli. Hey, everybody, it's Lisa Lampanelli. And you know why I'm here? It's to bring you the very fantastic, the very stupendous, the very stupid. Wait, what? Let Lisa help. That's right. This episode of Let Lisa Help is brought to you by friendship. And I don't mean the cottage cheese. I mean friendship, meaning I'm going to talk to my good friend, Jane Green, best-selling author and person who I feel has a lot of perspective on how to be a good friend, how to know when a friendship is supposed to end, and to talk about her new book, The Friends We Keep. See how it all ties in? I'm like a freaking genius. Ponder that and listen to my interview with Jane Green. This is Let Lisa Help with Lisa Lampanelli. Hey, everybody. It's Lisa Lampanelli, and this is Let Lisa Help. Today, I'm going to be talking to a really good friend of mine. Now, listen, people, I always get asked, oh, what celebrities do you hang out with? Oh, are you friends with this one and that one? Listen, I have real friendships, okay? I don't have fake friendships. I don't hang out with, oh, I don't know, uh, Pierce Brosnan. I don't say, hey, Pierce, let's hang out because we met at a party one. No, I can only be friends with people who live near me so we can actually spend time having a relationship build slowly. And that is why today I invited on my podcast a good friend of mine who I live near to, which is ending it with a preposition in front of a writer is not good, but my good friend novelist Jane Green is her. Hello. Jane is super classy. Not only is she British, she is just effing classy. She knows how to have plates that match at her house. <laughs> she knows how to throw a party and say British stuff, but not seem pretentious while she's doing it. Jane is the best. I freaking love her. So I'm so happy you're here. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. Now, listen, this Jane Green, I don't like to brag about my friends, but I will in this case. You have 18 New York Times bestsellers. Come on. That's like ridiculous. Do you ever say to yourself, oh, my God, I'm so good? No. I, actually, <laughs> I, you know what? I think if anything, I suffer from that classic imposter syndrome where yeah. I think after every book, this is this one's going to be a failure. And this is the book where they discover I've just been enormously lucky and I'm actually something of a fraud. Yeah. And my agent keeps saying to me, 18 New York Times Bessa, stop and take that in. Can you just stop and take that in? And I go, yeah, 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 yeah. No, it feels great. So anyway, let's right. look. And I, it's right. very hard for me to um, accept compliments. And mm. it's very hard for me to sort of focus on on actually it is of course it's amazing if if i met somebody else who was an 18 times new york bestseller i would be in awe right but and it's funny how to own it oneself is really really hard yeah and for me to use oneself correctly was pretty mm. damn impressive right there uh, on the other hand yeah i will say that i do think suffering from imposter syndrome also gives me 
humility, which I think is a good thing. I'd much rather, honestly, I'd much rather not feel that I deserve it than feel like it was my due. Right. Oh, you don't, you would not, yes, you would be uncomfortable and horrified at yourself if you felt you were so deserving. Yes. It would make you too uh, full of yourself. Yes. And I I have, you know, mostly the authors that I meet and know are lovely. um, But every now and then you'll come across somebody who's just a little bit full of themselves. Yeah. And I find that a little hard to. Yeah. It's it's funny because I always had imposter syndrome as a comic. Ends up I was an imposter. So sometimes it's right. Just kidding. But no, you explain what you mean to people because I know what I I mean with imposter syndrome. So imposter syndrome is something that that's really common with women, where we feel like we just don't deserve the success that we have, and that that it we really it's a combination of luck and timing, and that actually in five minutes' time, everybody's going to discover that we just got lucky and we're something of a fraud. Right, which keeps us, by the way, ultra hyper vigilant to make sure that that doesn't happen, that nobody finds out we're a fraud. So that's unappealing and a horrible way to live. So there's lots of things that get uh, that are at play. Oh, my God, if they find out I'm not a real comic, if they yeah. find out I'm not a real actor, I'll yeah. just die. Yeah. And the thing is, we're just us and that should be enough, but it never is. Yeah. I, I do think, though, getting older and I'm now 51. Oh, very um, young. I'm very young, a baby. I'm older than than uh, some of your other guests I know. But at 51, I kind of feel like it doesn't really matter. I'm, I'm definitely, I have more comfort in my skin than I've ever had before, which yeah. is lovely. And so I also think that success means different things to me now. Mm. I was very hungry for a lot of for many years and very driven and very ambitious. And I, I'm, I'm still hungry, but I'm also very comfortable in my skin. I'm very comfortable in my life. I have an amazing marriage. I have amazing children. I have wonderful friends and, and I'm able to to stop and appreciate that in a way I think I didn't when I was younger. I was always yeah. striving, whereas now I, I actually sit back and think, gosh, I'm, I am so grateful. Yeah. Well, the fact is, if we're always striving, then we're never even taking in success. Like this last book, the book that just came out uh, most recently, The Friends We Keep, which I was lucky enough to read in advance because I'm super good friends with Jane. By the way, best-selling New York Times writer. Yeah, you're definitely my classiest celebrity friend <laughs> slash only. And I feel like that hitting the New York Times bestseller list when that came out was did you actually enjoy that moment more this time because you're kind of like not just yeah 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 real good on to the next oh definitely I, I mean I think the the book business has changed so much and and I think for a long time I took it for granted because I was just I I'm one of those ridiculous stories that you don't hear of very often where I just I I I hit it immediately. I mean, I I just, I hit the bestseller list with my first novel and every book then jumped on the bestseller list. And I remember when I first moved to America, which was 18 years ago, Mm -hmm. um, People Magazine, every year when I had a book out, People Magazine would come to the house for a a photo shoot for a a three or four page spread. Oh my God. And they'd come for like a five, six hour photo shoot. And I remember thinking, well, this is, you know, this is normal. And only when it stopped, I was like, Hang on a minute. Where where are the people photographers? And right. and and of course it all stops because nobody can nobody's trajectory can can 
keep going up forever. And I definitely have had my my hard years and it's been enormously humbling yeah so yes hitting the bestseller list um this with this book was felt really big actually yeah Yeah. because you know i i always feel like um the person who kind of you know i i had that those years that i go uh i'm old hat yeah like oh lisa yeah we like her but that's she's fine. There's these new kids coming up, but then I'm like, yeah, but I'm like that song. I'm still here. Mm-hmm. You know, you just are like, wow. I'm. I actually made some impact, and I actually made insult comedy cool, like yeah. Rickles. And you're like the person who invented this whole genre of chick literature. Yeah, yeah. And it's like that's big. So were you? Did you find it hard to embrace? Hey, I did this. Not in the beginning, but I think what happens with everything, whether it's comedy or whether it's writing, is that you have your moment in the spotlight and it feels fantastic and you presume it's going to go on forever and ever. And then suddenly you're no longer flavor of the month. And Mm. I think the temptation is to want to do something else. Well, you know, you like, for example, right now, the hottest thing seems to be the domestic thriller. So, oh, so this this type of book, that kind of book is what everybody wants, whether it's, it's the gone girl and it's the Mm. woman in the window and, and they're fantastic books. And that's what the public suddenly want. You know, back in my day, when I did I was at the forefront of this chiclet um, new genre with Helen Fielding, who wrote Bridget Jones's Diary, mm. and everybody wanted the real funny story yeah, of the thirty-something yeah. single woman and and the dreadful men she was dating. And of course, mm-hmm. now people people have changed and people have moved mm-hmm. on. And the temptation is, do I go in that direction? Do I now sure. try my hand at the domestic thriller? But the truth is. I think I'm moving. I'm, I'm definitely my writing is changing, mm-hmm. but ultimately I I'm writing what I know, um, mm-hmm. and I think you have to sort of believe in yourself and trust yourself enough to 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 keep doing what you're good at and what you're passionate about, and and everything is cyclical in life. So yeah, so people will. So it's going to come around again. Yeah. yeah, and and those books never go out of style because there's people like me, and I'm not alone in this. Who make your books bestsellers? Well, you and know, it, there's enough people out there where you go, oh, I'm still appreciated, and that's nice. Yeah, and it's also, I think, what I'm, what I've always done is try and write with an emotional honesty and an mm. emotional resonance. So, so people are always going to relate to that. I'm not, I don't write romances. I write mm. books about real women, women like you and me, and yep. and families, and mm-hmm. dealing with with grief and friendships and and all the things that life throws at us and i think if you're if you're writing in that way i love something that ellen hildebrand said years ago which is she described um our writing as as um, and how we do it as we have to have tremendous amounts of empathy with no judgment and wow so i think that's exactly what we do um mm-hmm. and i think that's the best way of explaining it because then the readers know that they're not judged. Whatever they're doing in their own lives, they're, they're able to see it reflected in the pages and without right. judgment. I love that because, you know, empathy is a thing that is so hard to achieve in real life. You know, it's funny how I always achieved more empathy on stage and you achieve it in books. It seems to come a little easier there. But do you ever struggle with empathy in your real life? Because I just learned after reading Chelsea Handler's book that, oh, it's really about putting yourself in their shoes. 
that's really hard. That's not compassion. That's empathy and going, I understand it from my friend or my enemy's point of view. So I think I'm really, really good at doing that in my novels. Um, mm-hmm. I can put myself in anyone's shoes and somehow feel what they're feeling and 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 write about it. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely harder for me in real life. And And I think that one of the things I've always struggled with is being in my real life, quite judgmental. Mm. And and it's one of my character flaws. It's definitely something that I I find myself um, having to work on. Sure. Do you find it's more, because I, me too, it's really hard to not be driving down the street and see someone and say, oh, look at this one. And then it's like, what am I going through that I'm in that mindset right now? Like, you know, in yeah, other words, well, it's there's that there's that fantastic saying you're judging other people's outsides by your inside. So really, mm. whenever you make a negative judgment about somebody, it has nothing. It, it usually has nothing to do with them. It's yeah. about how you feel about yourself. And I definitely know that when I go into a situation with with compassion and, and, and uh, you know, from a place of, of acceptance, mm-hmm. it's always going to go much better. I, you know, I remember years ago, it was one of my first jobs. I was in my early 20s. Mm-hmm. And it was for a TV company in in the UK. And there was one producer, they had daily producers, there was one producer who everybody hated. Mm-hmm. The, and I, I'd never met her, but everybody in the company I knew couldn't stand this woman. And I remember making a decision that I was going to love this woman. Oh, my God. No matter what she was like, I was going to love her. And, you know, I never had a problem with her and we always got on because I went into it just with an with an open heart, which sounds a bit woo-woo to say. But just when you go into situations like that, you're going to – life is where you look. Yeah. And um, – I'm just so freaking amazed that you could do that in your 20s. I know. Because like now, I mean, I'm 57 and I'm still working on empathy. And the fact that someone could say, oh, I'm going to love her into love. It's really amazing. Yeah. I am. You know, there's an apocryphal story that I often think of and and sometimes talk about when when I'm giving talks, which is Mm -hmm. that – a woman pulls into a gas station in, let's say, Fairfield, Connecticut. Yes. And she says to the gas station attendant, hey, I'm moving to this town with my family next week. Um, what's the town like? What, how am I, how, what am I going to, how's it going to be for me? And he said, well, what's it like where you've been living? And she goes, oh, it's awful. The people are mean spirited and they're selfish. We have no friends. Everyone's superior and entitled. I can't stand it. And he said, well, I think you'll find Fairfield is pretty much the same. And then, the next day, a different woman pulls into the gas station and she says to the attendant, hey, I'm moving here with my family next week. What's what's Fairfield like? Mm-hmm. He goes, well, what's it like where you've been living? She said, oh, it's amazing. The best community we've ever lived in. People are, are generous and warm and welcoming. We've been so happy. And he says, well, I think you'll find Fairfield oh. as much the same. And, and I have found that to be so true of life yeah you know like it, it is you will always get back more of what you you put out oh my god i love that and by the way fairfield is both of those things <laughs> but, <you laughs> but is it no ed, you're right because everywhere is is of course both of those things and actually yeah. you you always experience it, what you're experiencing is really about you yeah it's what you're bringing yeah and especially in the area too of you know we we 
not just you and I, but so many people we just judge, judge, judge. And even just catching ourselves doing it is just hilarious if we can then dissect why. Yeah. What what's going on right now for me that I would look at someone or look at a hear the words Montana and said, Ugh, kill my kill yeah. me before I ever go there. How do I even know what it's like? Yeah. I mean I probably wouldn't want to go there, but yes, you, you know yes, you, <laughs> it's gone. Definitely. We're all gonna retire. All right. But yeah, it's it's interesting. And you know, you and I we we talk about friendship a lot because the reason the way I met Jane is that sort of long story short, we had been in each other's orbits for a little bit and then uh for for a couple of years and then finally she wrote a book that I loved, which is the one again that I resonated with me so much about the woman who's it, a drinker. It was Summer Secrets. Summer Secrets. Yeah. Oh my god, get that book. It's so good. Especially if you if you or anyone you love has had problems with addiction. Yeah. I mean, that's, alcohol, food, drugs, that's that's the book for you. Yeah. And I read it and I was like, since I've had so many food addiction issues and stuff, I was like, oh, I, this really applies to my food stuff. So I said, Jane, we really need to just sit down and have breakfast and get this friendship going. So what was great about the friendship? I think why it's been a success is it was a slow build. Yeah. Because, yeah, we knew we liked each other. And then but then, oh, one little breakfast here leads to another. Nothing gets forced. And I know you and I've talked about friendship. We're like, oh, you know, friendships are hard. Why are some hard and some easy? And it's so interesting because your book, The Friends We Keep, I was like, oh, and when I heard it was called that, I was like, oh, we have to talk about friendship. Because I think I've been trying to pare down my friendships without cutting people off without saying it's your fault because nobody ever does anything to anyone in my life like nobody screws anybody over it's just a feeling that they're sucking your energy or you're not getting as fulfilled anymore do you think the slower a friendship starts the less chance of it having that stuff take over well i i definitely have had many of those, uh, I call them sort of girl crush friendships where mm. I meet someone, I'm like, oh my God, you're my soul sister. Yeah. yeah. And suddenly we're best friends and we do everything together and then it all goes horribly wrong. So, right. so those quick friendships are, uh, are always tricky and I've learned not to, I've learned to, to pace myself and to take my time. Yes, I love that about our friendship, but one of the things that I've been thinking about so much recently and it was one of the inspirations behind the friends we keep mm-hmm. was was friendship and also this this thing that i've been feeling which is that my life is far more isolated than i ever expected mm. it to be and and partly i blame technology because i think we're all so busy hiding behind our screens mm-hmm. um and and busyness and and even though i think i have tons of friends i realize that i don't really i don't there's nobody i speak to on a daily basis mm. and and i find that i'm just i i was lonelier actually sure. than than um than i ever thought i would be at this stage and uh is it interesting how like we have way more ways of connecting but yet we're all lonelier yeah you know i was walking upstairs last night and realized that i had had a dance lesson in the morning I came home and I was like, oh, man, I'm so lucky. I got the whole day to do nothing. I got to catch up on sleep. And of course, you know, you fall asleep throughout the day and then you can't go to sleep at night. And I'm like walking up the stairs and it goes, well, even though I like really don't want to like, be living with anyone, 
this feels like what loneliness feels like today. Mm. Like yesterday happened to feel lonely during the evening. I said, oh, again, just feel it. It's fine. But it felt like, okay, I got to structure my life to make sure I have less of that. Well, and I and I think so much of it is retraining ourselves to reach out and have human connection. Yeah. Because one of the things that technology is, well, there are a couple of things. First of all, we are all hiding behind our screens. And secondly, mm-hmm. we've also all bought into the Instagram myth that, that everybody's life is perfect and we we feel inadequate somehow yeah. and 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 who am i to intrude yeah i think i think that absolutely that's mm-hmm. part of it and i i think i really do feel this more and more that we have to retrain ourselves to actually reach out and by the way I am the worst at this. Heaven forbid my phone should ever ring. Yeah. I look at it in horror thinking, what's the matter with you? Why can't you text me like a normal person? But actually, I'm now starting to phone my friends. Wow. Nobody picks up, but I'm I'm talking to them and telling them to. I'm starting to FaceTime. You know, if I can't actually get to see them, but I'm, I'm trying to make more of an effort to see them because really as human beings, we are built to connect it's the only reason we're here yeah um and you know as gloria steinem says there's a reason why solitary confinement is torture and and we kid ourselves that that we're in constant communication that we're online therefore we're connecting that's not connection we need to be face to face with people yeah to really connect and so i think we that's really the key and and actually the book the friends we keep is about a group of old friends who who come together again in midlife and realize what good friends they are and they decide to live together again. Right, um, right. And, so. and, you know, I was watching a documentary recently where the person says, you don't die from no sex, but people do die from no love. So I love that because I was like, oh, that's why I always have to keep a dog in my life and my family and good friends because you will die without it. That's why old people have even a plant yeah. or something. It's like we have to do that. Yeah. Now, your book, as you just said, Friends Who Keep is people who come back together and then end up living in the same area. I, as you know, I've had the Golden Girls fantasy my whole life. First of all, I had the Sex in the City fantasy, which was that we, I have a friend of four girls who, uh, excuse me, a circle of four girlfriends who lived in the city. Then I had edit. Hold, hold on. I have to stop you. Which one are you? Oh, I'm always um, oh, in Sex in the City. Yeah. I'm talk like a Samantha, but I'm actually a Charlotte. Because I think I'm very conservative sexually and I'm like very sort of like I've always admired her so much and that ladylike nature. But I talk and act like a Samantha. Yeah. And in Golden Girls, I'm definitely Dorothy. The battle axe. Um, so I always thought, OK, I want the group of four women who hang out. So when I moved into the city years ago, I had to edit it to be three gay guys and me. And now that I'm uh, in Connecticut, I was like, well, maybe like. I'll be able to have like a bunch of people living in my house, all these women like the Golden Girls. We'd effing kill each other. So I go, how about it's just the same on the same block, you know? But I always have that fantasy. And in your book, they actually kind of do something like that. Yeah, they do. And 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 actually, my real fans, in fact, the book was inspired by conversations that my husband and I kept finding ourselves having with our closest friends where mm-hmm. we'd go out for dinner and we'd always end up talking about, hey, you know, once the kids leave, which is in my case, two years, mm-hmm. wouldn't it be amazing if we bought a piece of land somewhere or an old farm mm-hmm. and we all had like a tiny house, but then a barn that was a communal kitchen and, and living room. So we could all basically be together for the yeah. second part of our lives. And I think that's going to become more and more common because 
the research has shown that loneliness is is an ever growing problem, particularly right. from from late forties onwards. And and loneliness affects everything in your life, health. I mean, it just it, it, it's a it's a terrible oh, yeah. burden to bear. So I think this idea of of um, you know, there's a group of people who've done it in Austin, Texas on a lake and they call it Bestie Row. Aww. But I think the whole Bestie Row of doing things is is really going to start catching on. I love that idea because years ago you used to actually just have neighbors and you would actually like your neighbors and talk to them like in my parents' day. And now it's not like that. My mother always says, oh, I miss the days when we used to all live near each other and we'd have go to this one's house on Friday for cards and do this and just walk to each other's houses. And to me, it sounds so cute. Yeah, I miss that, too. By the way, yeah. I live on a little private street mm-hmm. in the beach area. Mm-hmm. And you would think I thought moving in that it was going to be yeah. this one. And with the exception of a couple of people, I mean, most of my neighbors don't even don't even look over the people that live directly opposite don't even look our way if we if yeah. we cry. it's the most bizarre thing well i think i don't know if it's that case in your neighborhood but in mine it's this this fear of being accountable to people but yet wanting to be somehow. So I want everything on my terms. Like if they say hi to me and I don't want to say hi, I'm like, ew. But if I want to say hi, then I can't because I didn't say hi the last time. So now it's just everybody looking at each other and sort of just waving and looking down. See, I'm a matcher. I'm yeah. a terrible matcher. So if if people are nice to me, I will I will show up on their doorstep with cookies and home right. the next day. But if people ignore me, I will have the hate on them like nothing you've ever seen. Wow. Well, well hey, you know, to match them, what are you supposed to do? Try to win them over? Like, which is better? Yeah. You know, trying yeah, to... you know what? But that's the funny thing. The funny thing about being a matcher, and this is going back to what you were talking about earlier, judging people, you know, judging people's outsides by your insides. Mm-hmm. I, I When I wrote a book... Um, a few years ago called Promises to Keep. And it mm-hmm. was it was inspired by one of my best friends who died of breast cancer. Mm-hmm. And I remember doing, I did a lot of charity events to promote the book and a lot of, of talks about breast cancer. And I remember doing one in particular, and it was in a very affluent suburb. And all these women came in, and I was there first. And, and these women came in, and they just completely ignored me. And they were all done up in their designer labels, head to toe, yeah, and, yeah. and beautifully blown out hair and makeup and jewels. And I looked at these women and I'd smile at a couple of them and they just ignored me. And I thought, oh, these women are, yeah. these women are frightening. Actually, I was completely yeah. intimidated and just thought they were awful. And, you know, after I gave the talk, those same women came up to me and burst into tears in my arms. Oh I mean, were God. flinging their arms around me and crying because they'd lost a sister or they'd lost. Right. And I realized that that armor, the clothes and the jaw, is armor. It, it's, mm. and, you know, Brene Brown talks about, she, social worker, has written a number of books. And in her first book, Daring Greatly, she talked about shame and particularly mm. women and shame and that we all feel inadequate. We all feel that we're not good enough. And so what we do is we construct these barriers and whether it's clothes or jewelry or, right. or the way we are affect, it's to protect ourselves from people knowing that we're not good enough. That's our great fear Mm -hmm. is that other people will look at us and know that we're not enough. But in fact, what she says is when we, when we put those barriers up, it stops us from connecting with people that you cannot connect on a human level when you have those barriers. And, and I always think about that event because those women with those barriers, I, I couldn't connect with them. And it was only when they let them down and showed their humanity that, that 
I I was able to connect. Right. You know, it's interesting because I've said before on this show how my blue hair or my purple hair is like my uh, cock block to a relationship with a man because it's like, I was like, oh, I'd rather, it's almost like that wall up going, don't come near me. Oh my God, run away. And I go, ooh, now this makes me think what you're saying. Like, what do I do to block friendships or potential friendships? Like, I think I over-advice give, I over-caretake, and all that, that doesn't make you closer to somebody until you have a real friendship already. Like, you and I can ask each other's advice and stuff, but if I give unsolicited, hey, I'm fixing your life stuff, that's a way of putting a wall between you because you're not connecting on a equal thing. You're yeah. going, oh, I'm going to lift this poor person up. Oh, I'm going to help this person. I've ruined a lot of friendships that way. And then I've had to apologize for them. I, I think it's it's so fascinating how we step into roles and in friendships. Mm-hmm. And I know that for years, I, I did something very similar to you. And I, mm-hmm. my role in many of my friendships was the was the caretaker or the advice giver. Yeah. Um, and so I had a lot of unequal friendships. But, you know, I have to say I, I've reached a stage where I've accepted that that's okay as long mm-hmm. as I accept. I, it, it is for me about acceptance that I've learned not to go to those people for advice. It's fine. I can right. still love them and mm-hmm. still have them in my life and recognize that, that it is, that's, if I ever go to them for advice, which I have tried to do, that's not the dynamic of our friendship. And, right. and I've just learned to to go elsewhere. Yeah. Like I love when people ask me advice, but then again, like you said, it's not going to always be reciprocal. Yeah. And they're good for other things. Yeah. You know, I once took a uh, workshop or, or a little, went attended a talk at Canyon Ranch about different types of friendships. And of course, I was like, oh, everybody has to be a soulmate. Everybody has to be best buddy. And it's like, no, there's other things. They call them tennis friends or whatever there is. Yeah. Do you find it hard to have different sort of groupings of friends? Yes. Because yeah. I, I think I'm very binary. I'm very black or white. So I, I, so when I love, you know, when, when people are in my life, I'm very loyal and I, I, I basically everyone's a best friend. I, yeah. I don't yeah. know. I'm not very good at having the outer layers. I mean, I oh, either me have either. Kind of best friends or friendly acquaintances. And I don't quite know how to navigate those times when people who you perhaps have considered a You've thought of them as a best friend, but suddenly you realize that for whatever reason, they were perhaps more situational friends. You were friends because your kids were friends right. or you lived in the same neighborhood. And how do I, how do you then navigate them not being the, the level of friend that you perhaps thought they were? I'm still struggling with that. That's one. a tough one because that's what I was going to ask. I was this thing about ending. I remember reading once about ending a love relationship with as much honor as when it started. I think that's why my divorce was pretty effing amicable because it was at first, yes, yelly for a day. And then it was like, look, let's end this compassionately. Let's end it honestly. Nobody's mad here. We're hurt. It's fine. So I was like, wow, what an honorable ending to a relationship. Mm. I find the honorable ending to a friendship more difficult. I think it's because they're it maybe the rules weren't so clear. Like with the marriage, it's like, okay, so we're both, we're sharing finances, we're sleeping with only each other. But with friendships, it's like, how do you know when to phase it out? And end it on a nice note. We go, wow. I, I, I once, I had a, a talk with a girl who I felt being, I was being pushed aside and I told her it hurt me. And, you know, we were literally this close to just going, let's just not talk anymore. 
And I remember saying to her, do you think we're just not each other's cup of tea? Like, do you, do we even like each other? And she goes, I don't know. And then the more we talked, it took like two hours. We're like, I kind of think we had some good times and you're cool. And maybe we should just try to be like less heavy for a while. And then it all worked out. But don't you find those talks are really hard to not well, just throw in the towel? So I think it depends on, I think those talks are really hard. Mm-hmm. I have thrown in the towel. Mm-hmm. But I've only thrown it. I've thrown the. I've thrown in the towel a couple of times, and I've done it where there's been a betrayal, and and okay. there is, and and I've known that that this is not. These are not. This is not going to continue. Yes. And I will also say I have regrets, not about ending the friendship, but about ending it unclean in, in an unclean way, and that mm. I wasn't honest about what happened. I just ghosted, which I think is a terrible thing to do, and I don't advise it. I will also say that I've had situations with friends and I've had this a couple of times where I've been, I've felt very let down and very upset by something. Um, and we've talked about it and we've got to a better place. And actually one of my best friends, um, I remember, you know, there was a period of time she really got me through my, my divorce. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was my rock and she was mm-hmm. there every day. And then suddenly she was a little bit distant with me. And I thought, well, I didn't think anything really. I just right. thought, oh, she's busy. Right. And then all of a sudden out of the blue, I got this email saying, you know, I was there for you. And I had this thing happen during this. And you were not there for me. You were selfish. You were self-absorbed. And mm-hmm. I am so shocked at, at how terrible a friend you've been. And it felt like I had been stabbed. Mm. And my first instinct was to jump on the defensive because yeah. I think that's what we do. We're like, how dare you? Yeah. I, you know, I was going through. Da, da, da. Yeah. But in fact, I was able to own it completely. Mm. And and I wrote back to her and and owned it, mm. apologized. But also I was very clear that you are right. I, d- I did, even though it was never my intention to do this, I realized that I have acted like this. And, you know, we had a few weeks when we didn't speak. And then she um, emailed me and said, can we meet for coffee? Wow. And we met for coffee and we talked about everything but our friendship. We just jumped straight back into talking about everything. And the extraordinary thing is this happened now 15 years ago. Wow. And our friendship is so much deeper and stronger than it ever could have been had we not got through that by being very honest and owning it and i i think but that's the hard bit i think we were both evolved enough to to be able to admit our wrongdoings or i was i I was able to admit it and that's always the hard bit so you never talked about what happened not that not the first time we have talked about it and actually many many times over the years we've we've acknowledged that that because we were able to talk about it we we got to a much better place and she now feels like a sister see that's the thing i think because a large part of it is like talking about it, owning it, owning our part in it, and also then accepting people where they are. And that's so hard for me because I want to fix everyone. I want them to be everything to me. You know, I want to be everything to them. And sometimes you just got to go, wait a minute, realize my limits and theirs. For instance, I was in this, uh, yeah, Lisa quit bragging community theater show the, uh, <laughs> a few months back. And I swear to God, everyone's between, there are a lot of kids in it, but everyone's probably between 27 and 35. So that's my group I rescue. That's the Lisa, sweep in and be your mentor. And I invited about five of them to the Cape because my my, uh, mom has a house up there. It's nothing grandiose. It's just really sweet. 
So I go, oh, I love going to the Cape. And, you know, I don't have a lot of friends who can just run away. I go, hey, you know, few of you want to come? There's five bedrooms or whatever. I'm like, yeah. And I got to go and remember in my head, I go, they're kids. Because to me, 25, 27 to 35 is in, not a peer yet. I'm still going to try to fix you and help you. So I go, remember, these are your tennis friends. These are fun friends. These are friends who you'll run around P-Town with. You're going to go to silly little events with. Great. But I have to keep that in mind because if not, it's going to be, well, do you have an agent? I mean, you're really talented. Can I help you? Or saying, why do you act like that with men? Why do you act like that with women? I got to keep that in check and accept they're still forming their lives. I'm like an elder statesman. Let me just have some fun and have like almost these adopted nieces and nephews. Yeah. But even if they weren't younger in the age group that you like to rescue, I I still think it, it comes down to accepting that not all your friends can be the soul sister, no. soulmate friend. And I, by the way, do you agree with this? I don't think that can happen unless somebody's lived a life at a certain age. For instance, I think people my age are way more apt to be a soulmate friend. And maybe there's, I'm sure there's tons of exceptions. But I don't see how I could ever be soulmate friends with a 25-year-old. It just, you don't have the same points of reference. Um, so I don't know if that could occur because I'd always feel like. Oh, you, you, because you're bringing the, your, the wisdom and experience. And the and, fix-it stuff oh, in. Yeah, but yet I can have a fulfilling, awesome conversation. Yeah. And awesome, like, time. Oh, um, oh, I think, I think what's interesting about that age group is I have a theory that, mm-hmm. Before 40, Mm -hmm. you still think you can conquer the world. You have no idea how hard Mm -hmm. life is going to be. And I think your 40s is when it starts happening and, and, you know, parents get ill or, you know, marriages suffer, whatever it is. Suddenly you, you find that, God, this is, this is not what I expected. And you come out a bit battle scarred. And, and that's what you don't have when you're young. And, you know, I, I, drive around my my suburban town and I see all I call them the yummy mummies and they're yeah. all the late 30s and they've got um, toddlers and babies dressed in designer clothes and they're filled with their own fabulousness and they're very loud in restaurants and they're gorgeous and I look at them and I think gosh you have Wait no idea yeah, yeah yeah and it's not a judgment it's no. just going you know what the, hey Look, I'm sure people our parents' age are going, oh, wait till these ones yeah, I, about us because yeah. they are the ones who kind of are leading the way now. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's really friendships to me. I always thought because, you know, I do um, food and body image workshop, change workshop. I go, there has to be a workshop on friendship and how to really make friendships honest and maintainable and end them when they should be ended and not be codependent on people and stuff like that. I think friendship is really difficult to navigate yeah it's it's i so i i've just come back from a a week in london Mm. and and part of this isolation that i've been feeling in this loneliness Mm -hmm. has has made me romanticize Mm -hmm. um another kind of life and also the life i had in my 20s and actually Mm -hmm. i i there i was in london with my oldest friends thinking you know we went out one night and it was fantastic and i thought these are the people that know me best and i need to be i need to move back to london because i i need to be with my people but the truth is 
you know, I living in London is is uh, would be lovely, but I'm not going to see my friends any more than I see my friends right, here because right. everybody's so busy. And yes, they may know me best, but I'm still going to see them once every three weeks. Yes, um, still geographic uh, yeah, cure. You know? Yeah, but I I definitely have a tendency to. Um, to romanticize. I think we we often do. Sure. I think we yearn for yearn for connection and yearn for those those soulmates um yeah. in our friendships. Well, I was even noticing this is so funny. My <clears throat> you know, I take ballroom dancing a lot now and my partner Marco is married, greatest guy in the world, greatest wife. I started to go, oh, I wonder if this studio is going to be a whole group of friends for me now. No, guess what it is? A fun effing place to go every day and do movement that does not seem like work or exercise. Mm -hmm. It's also fun to laugh with a straight guy. It's also fun to um, have a Friday night dance party and just go and dance with random people. You'll probably not see till next Friday. But I always have to stop myself from going, oh, maybe this is the community. Maybe there is no community. My community is going to be this random person, that random person, breakfast with you, this or that. And that's, I think, how it's supposed to build. It can't be these expectations put on these new structures. And I I also think we, when we're single and when we're young, Mm -hmm. um, some of us are still single, really. Mm -hmm. But my yearning is is for the best friend that you speak to yeah. five times a day that yeah. you phone up to yeah. say, oh my God, I just ate, <laughs> I just ate a whole bag of Butterfinger pieces. I you know, whatever say it butter, is. which is, yeah, I've done. A whole bag of butter. <laughs> if it was deep fried, I could do it. Um, but, you know, and I have a husband who I adore and he really is my best friend. Um, so, uh, but there's that, that yearning mm. for, for some kind of, I don't know what. You know what's interesting about that though, too? My best friend, Vicky, she's disabled so she is, you know, I literally do not see her. Yeah. I mean, I would say once every three months or something because she really can't do that much out of the house and drive and stuff like that. And I'm always running around and it is that phone thing. But then you go, oh, but we didn't hang out. So it's it's weird how yeah. we always want it to be a, the fantasy. Maybe but but then the fantasy kind of is not as good as the reality because then you go, well, wait, everything's pretty cool. Like, I'm pretty lucky. Well, and that's the thing, especially as a novelist, mm. I I romanticize everything. Oh, yeah, that's right. You know, this is what I do. And in fact, again, I'm going back to London. There I was in London. And in fact, I was in London for a couple of days. And then I was down in a, a little village called Hurley, which is on the River Thames, but in the countryside, just mm-hmm. outside of Henley-on-Thames. Mm-hmm. And it was the most glorious weather. The sun shone all week. And I was staying in an old English country house with right. an arger and a dog and and wellies everywhere and it was just it was the life I always wanted but the truth is you know I'm I'm sitting thinking oh my god I have to I have to come home yeah but again it was I'd romanticized this this sort of perfect life that I would have if I lived there and that's not real because some days the the dog dies some day the stove breaks and and some day it's gonna rain yeah you know what's interesting because you put that story on uh, that Instagram you posted that about that situation and you had so many people including me go no you're not moving back no. No, which that's got to have felt good because to have people say no we can't lose you that would make me feel really good did you take that in or did was that just another thing no no i definitely did i definitely oh, looked good. and thought gosh I, I you know i really did 
do have an amazing life here and I'm just doing what I always do, which is romanticizing another version of my life, thinking it's good. I mean, I, I moved, I left my town years ago and bought an old farmhouse Mm. in the Litchfield Hills in Connecticut. And I, I did it because I, I, I had these visions. I thought that I would become this <laughs> earth yep. mother. Yep. I was going to bake bread every day. I was going to grow all our own fruit and vegetables. And right. I swear to God, my, I thought I saw my children tripping through apple orchards right. in beautiful European right, of course. clothing. I mean, yes. it was just ridiculous. That's we all just do not it. What we all do life it. Life is like. Hey, I did it with uh, getting a play uh, in New York City up and running eight times a week. I was like, that is going to be so great. Maybe I'll even wear leg warmers. <laughs> like, honestly, do you know what just sucks doing eight shows a week? As a matter of fact, it's so funny because my producer of my um, storytelling shows just said to me, well, if you like doing that community theater thing so much, why don't I call and see if you have a meeting with the people who do Chicago here on Broadway? And they do like a stunt casting of like six weeks Wendy Williams did, NeNe Leakes, you know, yeah. Christy Brinkley. So there's this one part and I go, oh my God, totally do that. And she goes, I just want to say a few things. Eight shows a week. And I go, never mind. Because the fantasy is really cute. Yeah. Coming out of the stage door is really cute. Two o'clock in the afternoon when you have to start thinking my life ends at eight when I have to go on. I want to throw up. So we have those visions. Yeah. And you know, once your real life, when you start really looking at it, starts matching the fantasy because it kind of does. Like really, if you could change anything right now, because I'm trying to think with me too, what would I change? I think the only change I would make right now is to sell my house because it's too big. And I just like less is more now. It just seems too big for me. So in a fantasy world, my house would be about two bedrooms. So that can happen. Yeah. You know, is there anything else about your life that you go, you know what? I need to tweak this or that. The only thing that I would like to do mm-hmm. is I think take my career in another direction, which would be more film and TV. And I'm mm. I'm really interested in writing for film and TV mm-hmm. and in developing my own books, because I actually recently sold three of my books to Lifetime. They turned them right. into movies. Should have been an amazing experience. Wasn't. Right. And, and part of why it wasn't was that I had nothing to do with it. And I realized I'm much too much of a control freak to do that. Mm. And, and I, I want to be involved in the script next time. So the fantasy of, oh, I want to sell my books didn't work. What will work is this reality of, oh, I want to sell my books, but I'm going to help yeah. uh, interpret them for the screen. Yeah. I'm going to ha- have a hand in this. Yeah. See, that's good. It's almost like we're tweaking our fantasy to match what we really want. Yeah. You know, like I don't know if I love coaching people one-on-one love going to a group and doing a group because I'm sitting there and there's like 10 women who want to work on their crap. And I'm like, oh, this is enlivening for me. How enlivening will it be for them if I don't feel like I'm enlivened? See, and I, I wonder as well for you whether there's it taps into your the performer in you as well. You're right. Having, You're right. The group. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Because I I will tell you the truth. I do not mind when they're all staring at me and I'm saying something brilliant. Yeah. Like, it's really fun. And I also think one-on-one, I mean, I, I it's like I, in another life, I think I would have been a great interior decorator, interior Ooh. designer, except for the fact that 
It's only your don't taste. Question me. <laughs> yeah. I don't question me. No, no, no. This is what your house needs. And I'll do it for you and, and that's it. So, yeah, yeah. And it's the same thing with therapy. Like, I think mm-hmm. I'd be a great therapist, mm-hmm. except you have to do what I tell right, you. Right. Otherwise, it's going to be a disaster. Right, right, right. I had the same thing after I got married for the second time. I had the most beautiful wedding. And I was like, okay, as long as you can give me $350,000 and you get to do it my way, I'll do your wedding for you. But I'm like, people don't want your wedding or your house. They want what they want, which is unacceptable to me. I completely agree. (laughs) It's my way or the highway. And speaking of your way or the highway, Miss Jane Green, where can people find your book? I'm assuming the Amazon because that's where I got it. Um, absolutely the Amazon. Um, also the Barnes and Noble and huh? the independent bookstore, your, your local independent bookstore, because we do love an independent bookstore. They're beautiful so, and yeah. there's so few left. So listen, that is Jane's 18th bestseller, The Friends We Keep. And while you're at it, go and get her whole, what do they call it? A backlist? My backlist. Oh, I love that. I mean, honestly. Oh, but can we actually? Yeah. If you are, if you haven't read me before, definitely read The Friends We Keep. But also, yeah. I do like The Beach House. That was Oh, my God, The Beach House. Yeah, so that's a great starting point as well. That's got to be one of my favorites. And Jemima J oh. killed it. And which one did I say I like again? Uh, Summer Secrets. Oh, my God, I the love it. One. Yeah, if you, if you struggle with anything, read that book. Also, Jane, do you mind sticking around for like 10 minutes and we can help some of our poor, desperate Ooh. listeners? Yes, please. Because people other than us have problems. Do you believe that? <laughs> We'll be right back. By the way, if you want to follow Jane on social media, she is at? Uh, well, uh, inst- I'm Jane Green author on Instagram. I think I'm author Jane Green on Facebook. I am on Twitter, but I don't really do it because I think it it doesn't It's kind of dirty good. now. Yeah, it yes, doesn't, doesn't kind of dirty. But Instagram is the big one and particularly the Instagram story because actually yeah, they're the best. my feed is very curated and I look sort of very glam in all those mm-hmm. pictures. But on the Instagram story, you'll see me in curlers. Oh, it's the best. I have fun with those videos. Well, that's what I was going to say. You have a gorgeous house, gorgeous husband, great kids, gorgeous but yet on the stories, you're not afraid to look silly yeah, and to I, do what your thing. So yeah, that, yeah, you know, this non-pretentiousness I love about you. I love that stuff. So listen, follow Jane. And also while you're at it, you know what? Look up Lisa Lampanelli. If you can't spell it, you don't deserve to be my fan. I want you to go to lisalampanelli.com. I want you to look up where my food and body image workshops are. By the way, there's one at Kripalu in November that will change your effing life, and you'll find some peace around food and body image. Plus, my storytelling shows, we are killing it, called Fat Chance and Losing It. And again, not just for people struggling with food. It applies to anything you might be obsessed with. Uh, in the meantime, stick around for more Let Lisa. Lisa, help, botches. You're listening to Let Lisa Help with Lisa Lampanelli. Hello, I'm Brad Jenkins, host of the Fired Up Podcast. We're fired up that you're joining us, and that is the whole point of the podcast. We're going to have guests on to talk about the thing that they love the most. We picked the perfect first guest, Senator Cory Booker. Here we are getting Jersey Shore jokes every five minutes. Because of a bunch of people from Staten Island, no less. I mean, (laughs) they didn't even live in Jersey, and they gave us a bad name. Fired Up with Brad Jenkins. New episodes weekly. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts and at podcastone.com. And now back to Let Lisa Help with Lisa Lampanelli. 
Okay. Hey, everybody. It's Lisa Lampanelli, the queen of mean ing, back with my special guest, New York Times bestselling author Jane Green, who's also like an actual friend. <laughs> now, Jane and I are going to help some of my desperate listeners. Okay. And if you're listening to this, you are desperate. The first one is from Anne from Connecticut. Look Ooh. at that. Huh. Lisa. I am late in the game to realize we are neighbors. Wonder if you would like to reconnect at some point. I thought it would be fun. Let me know. Now, Jane, let me tell you something. I'm the type. If we lost touch, there's probably a reason. I don't know who this is. Actually, I do know it is a perfectly fine person. <laughs> and actually, I would probably reconnect with her. Do you ever get annoyed when people from your past who sort of were formerly in your life from literally like high school or grammar school, do you get annoyed when they come back into your life and want you? Or do you say to yourself, oh, isn't that nice? Because my my first gut was like, oh, my God, I don't care. Now I calm her and I go, you know what? She was really nice. I'm going to reach out maybe if I have time. How do you, How does your process work when that happens? It's hard, right? It's really hard because because a lot of the time you have lost touch for a reason. But I try and I try and write back. I, I and but often I write back with, "Oh, it's so lovely to hear from you. Um, I'm I'm on tour, mm-hmm. but let's I'll push it. Or if I don't want to see, you know, I'll, and actually, it's not even that I don't want to see them. It's more about time. I kind of yeah. Feel like I my time is so precious, and I've got six kids and and I've six kids home this summer and I I kind of feel like gosh I I barely have time to see the people I love such a squeeze in other people is is quite hard actually what I do I'm really lazy I will often just say to people come over for a cup of tea and and so I don't have to leave my house because I hate leaving my house I know being home is so nice nesting yes I'm a cancer and cancers nest I think I have a moon in cancer or something because I'm a huge nester. Yeah, it's so nice to just feel at peace and home. And the thing is, I think what it is, my shrink said to me a couple of weeks ago, she's like, you know what? There's three things you can't get you, you, that are limited, time, energy, and money. You only have so much of each and you have to be careful of where you spend those things. And I'm like, should my energy be put into coffee with someone that I don't remember or know that well or could be like a Nazi at this point. I mean, she's not, but you never know. Yeah. But yeah. And I go, well, that's a lot of investment. But but also, is it just a half hour out of my life that could potentially realize, oh, my God, you're you're really a good person. I don't know. I don't know. I think you can. uh, I'm not sure. That I have a huge amount of interest in in reconnecting with people from way way back. Having said that, I will say when I was in London, mm-hmm. I was walking down Hampstead High Street with my mum, and my mum nudged me and said, "Look who it is!" And walking towards us was Helena Bonham Carter. Now no I kidding. went to school with Helena Bonham Carter. Oh my god! And so, and I stopped. And I went, "Oh hi, Helena Jane Green." Where is that? She had no idea. <gasps> No idea who I was. She was the year above me, but she did yeah. know me because we right, ran into right. each other on the tube, like after she became famous, and um, and it was it was really funny. And I thought I would have really loved to have had a cup of tea with Helen about it. We had a right. very nice chat, right, right? Um, but she clearly had no idea. Oh, that's who I so was. funny. I sometimes did that you to... have to let sleeping yeah. dogs lie. I think. I think so too. Yeah, you know. 
that being said, probably when I'm, I'm just going to say this to my, my, my former friend and maybe potential new friend and from Connecticut, I'm going to say this. I'm probably going to wait till I'm about 70 to get in touch with you. And I'll tell you why. Because people start dying in their 70s. People start dropping off. So I figure, you know what, by then some of my friends, not Jane, some of my friends will have died and I may have a slot for you. I'd probably be working way less so then we can sort of hang out. So you know what, Anne? I will talk to you in 13 years. And I think that's really big of me. I do. And maybe we'll invite her to come and live on our commune <gasps> with our tiny right. houses and exactly. our communal If she behaves. Kitchen. By the way, explain to me, because I read in these books by these British authors, the high street and the low street. Tell me what the difference is. There's no low street. I've never heard <laughs> You just made that up. Wait, no, is there so, such a yeah. thing? No, it's just no. high so street. The what high street means Main street. It's it's oh. the, it's the English equivalent to Main Street. Oh, so it's basically the high street is where all the all the shops oh, are. Oh, because I used to love when Bridget Jones would be walking yeah. down that high street and the I knickers with her big knickers. Yeah, down, yeah I down. literally pictured a high street no, and a it's low just, street. It's Main Street. I'm Jane. You're welcome. I'm gonna see. I have learned so much today from you. <laughs> I have learned enough not to reach out to anyone else because I feel we're even better friends now. Yes. Oh, my God. Seriously, Jane, thank you so much for being an amazing friend. Thanks for enlightening the listeners about friendship and how to have it. And, hey, one final word. How do you end a friendship properly? I think we both agree. You what? Call them up and say, you're dead to me. (laughs) What do you think the best way is as a parting word? Uh, I'm a bit of a wuss and I'm not very good at confrontation with people I love. So, Mm -hmm. and I am a writer. So I do, I I like the written word. I like a letter. Well, if I ever get a letter from you, I'm not. You're never. (laughs) You better not, bitch. It'll only be a love letter. Uh, Now, remember, by Jane's latest novel, The Friends We Keep, New York Times bestseller on Amazon.com or at any bookstore near you, or even one far away, like Go Drive. It's worth it. And look her up on the Instagram Jane, author Jane Green. Yep, I yes. guess so. Or Jane, or Green, Jane author. Green author. It's and wonderful. you know what? If you can't figure it out, again, you're dead to us. Listen up. I'll be right back with more Let Lisa Help. What did we learn? What have we learned today? You know, people, we learned a lot today. We learned that even best-selling authors and Grammy nominees like myself, well, I'm not the best-selling author part, I'm a least-selling author, but I am a Grammy nominee, we all suffer from some sort of imposter syndrome. None of us can escape. We also learned that the definitions of success as you get older do change. And guess what? Judging someone's outsides based on your insides, yeah, try saying that three times fast, is really the problem. We also learned about friendship. Slow builds, work best, quit trying to always be my best friend, and also don't romanticize life. It's good enough as it is. Accept it as you are, and you'll have a wonderful life. Like Lisa Lampanelli, the freaking best podcaster workshop giver, lisalampanelli.com. Let Lisa help. You heard it. You lived it. You loved it, bitch. Thanks for listening to Let Lisa Help with Lisa Lampanelli. For more info on Lisa's storytelling shows, her workshops, and her life coaching services, go to lisalampanelli.com. You can also follow Lisa on the socials at Lisa Lampanelli. New episodes of Let Lisa Help are available weekly on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. 
And if you love the show, make sure to leave a rating and review. AP News is sponsored by ADT. Real protection is professionally installed smart home security backed by 24-7 monitoring. Our team will help you customize a system for your home, including video doorbells, indoor and outdoor cameras, smart locks, and lights that can be controlled from the ADT app or the sound of your voice. You can even help keep your loved ones safe on the go with location sharing, driving activity alerts, and an emergency SOS button through the ADT Go app. That's ADT. Real protection.